This is GEA Embedded, your weekly GAA uh, service here on Ballsley, where every Monday we bring you through the best of the weekend's action and get in-depth um, as we look back and ahead to all the championship action. This week we're going to focus on football for the most part. We've got Darren O'Sullivan standing by, um, as usual, five big games. Some, some good, some not so good. We'll get into all of that in a few minutes. Lots to talk about. We'll also have Morris Brosnan later in the show bringing us inside the game. We're going to talk to him about the hurling qualifier draw. We're going to talk to him a little bit more about kind of what needs to happen with the structures. And, of course, we'll talk about his GEA embedded article from last week where he talks about getting the basics right, which is a little bit less, uh, uh, which is a little bit more important than I think sometimes we give it credit. And, of course, we'll guess the handicaps. Uh, I think Gary's going for four in a row here. So PJ is uh, sharpening the knives and ready to go and hopefully not checking uh, out what the actual handicaps are because that'd be terrible. And most importantly, uh, Sean Fidji meeting is standing by to bring us through the most important thing that we'll learn today, which is I think we're ranking the best hurling helmets of all time. So uh, once uh, once uh, Brian Lohan's red helmet to match his fiery red hair is on that list, I'm happy enough. But Let's get to the football. More important things to talk about. Darren O'Sullivan standing by. Darren, how are you? Not too bad. Make her things. Not too bad. There was some, a lot of us, I think you included, I think most most of the GA fraternity uh, were slightly occupied, at least in the latter stage of the weekend, by a different type of football um, and uh, the European Championships final. But it was actually one of those interesting weekends of football that we needed the Donegal and Derry game to come alive to make it... Um, to make it actually something memorable in terms of what we saw on the field, but actually in terms of talking points and these type of discussions that we tend to have every year about where the game is going, this was <laughs> we almost needed this weekend where it was a, a quiet enough one in terms of uh, not that much going on on the field. There was no hurling on. It was just these five games of football, and they all kind of had that bit of a story in them that we kind of, we have to get into the old structures debate, Darren, I hate to say yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, I suppose. That's the only good thing about today is that uh, there, there wasn't much to talk about on the, the football front, bar one game. The rest of them were fairly drab affairs, but like that, it always comes down to the rules and the regulations and what 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 uh, direction the game is going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, like, let's actually talk about the football first, right? Because we can get to kind of what happened with with, with Mayo and Leitrim and everything else, and it's not as if it was a one-off or the first time we've ever seen it either. But what we got in Donegal and Derry was an actual. I think anyway, like it was 16 15. There was, we'd probably see better games of football, but in terms of kind of the the storyline of the game and Derry kind of going to try and like this Division Three team kind of coming to try and top up one of the All Ireland contenders and almost getting there, and then a moment of magic winning it and the various different things that Derry could have done differently and so on and so forth. It was a really, really interesting game of football. From Derry's point of view, though, it's like it feels like for so long we've been waiting on them to fulfill their potential i suppose the fact that they were in division three you know what i mean but they they flattered to deceive for so long and then they went and did they did that this year they won all their games with 20 points and you're thinking jesus are they are they actually going to be able to step it up to donegal's level and they did really you know but they just kind of couldn't get over that end line in the end and it's like you're almost thinking to yourself jeez they love a back door for Derry. they could be really dangerous this year yeah, like I think for a lot of them now, when I suppose Derry supporters and players, they will think of it as a, I suppose, an opportunity missed. But from the outside, you're thinking they have so much to build on for next year. It's actually exciting. I think uh, they'll get a big reaction up in the county. Like I was only thinking uh, yesterday, we played them in the league final in 2008 and 2009. We lost in 2008 and beat them in 2009, and they've fallen dramatically since then. So. 
Yeah, look, there'll be an in, the initial disappointment, but this year has been a big step up for them. And you'd imagine it's going to be a great um, learning curve for a lot of them. They're going to come on like, like that. It was opportunities missed. Um, and I suppose one thing that took me by surprise yesterday was just how poor and how slow-paced Donegal were when you took yeah. Michael Murphy out of it. So, look, Donegal, from a dairy point of view, look, obviously the major disappointment. But for next year and the years coming on, I do expect um, them to keep coming up because they're like that. They were down Division 3. They were never a Division 3 team. Mm. But for whatever reason, they couldn't get it going. They seem to have a, a good group of players coming now at a good young age. They have good structure there. And after that, it, it, it's just a bit of experience getting to play the better teams um, pre, in the in the league. And I suppose that's the bother when you get down to Division 3 and Division 4. A lot of the teams you're playing aren't at a high enough standard. And then when you do play the better teams, decision-making lets you down the pace of the game come in the last five, ten minutes, which is where they lost it. Um, that's where you run out of steam. Yeah. And that's more or less exactly what happened. But like from Donegal's point of view, you know, you mentioned, we we talked a couple of weeks ago sort of about about them risking him against Down and saying, look, if, if they can't beat Derry without him, where are they going? And then you're thinking to yourself, they didn't really beat Derry without him. They needed like really badly that uh, in in that experience coming on they needed the his ball winning ability everything that Michael Murphy brings and as you said even their pace everything is lacking without him it's just like they're almost too reliant on him in everything they do on the field yeah it was very strange um like Michael Murphy is a lot of things but he's not lightning fast but it was amazing how all of a sudden he came on and the pace of the game changed. We saw more out of Ryan McHugh. McBrearty, who'd been well shackled all of a sudden, was popping up. Also, McNeilish came on, which is not a good, experienced player. So that was obviously going to help. But like it was, Mike Murphy came on, and it was the old reliables who all of a sudden kicked into gear. And it was like, without him, they just lacked direction. They lacked a bit of leadership. And as soon as he came on, it, even the Derry players, their focus changed. And all it was was we need to tear into Michael Murphy. I think two or three of them went him straight away, hopping off mm-hmm. him. The experienced Michael Murphy, he just kind of walked past him, kept going as if to say, look, I'm just here to win this game and get out the gap. And it was like their focus of both teams changed. Derry's focus went on trying to stop Michael Murphy instead of trying to stop Donegal. And or and Donegal were like, Michael's here now. Let's, let's up for the gear and let's win this game. So, look, it was very interesting to see, but I'd be worried from a Donegal point of view, if he can't get fully fit or if he does break down in the coming yeah. weeks. Yeah, definitely. Like Once they have him, they're going to be dangerous. But if, yeah. if, if he's not there, then um, what's the question? It's a funny you mention. We spoke about it very briefly before before we come on air about the, the Terry lads all just lining up to have the shoves and that kind of bravado that some people just really despise and in a game. But it's like, of all people not to do it to Michael Murphy's not going to take the blindest bit of notice of it. Like, in fact, he'll, he'll keep his head down and get on with it. Did you experience much of that? Like, I, I, I you know, you would have come off the bench, smaller player, big wing back, probably trying to kind of like impose himself on you. And just how would you react with that? Does it work on anyone? Because defenders all do it. So it must, they must yeah. at least think it has some impact. To the definitely defenders saying no. I didn't get a whole pile of it. I think probably because I was smaller. Like, but it, t- it tends to be the bigger lads who, for some reason, it's like going, "I'm going to hop off this fella," and they're the fellas who probably don't feel it at all. So, I wouldn't get much now. I'd only get a bit of talk or pulling and dragging, but like that, I used to be coming on with 15, 20 minutes ago, energy to burn. So I used to be running around the place. So, 
but I, I hate seeing it to be honest like, oh, I know it's kind of part and parcel of the game it's in everything but I just don't see the point in it even for someone like Michael Murphy his experience he didn't even bat an eyelid he kept going yeah. but the other part of it is he probably didn't feel it either like so these fellas who have been on for 60 odd minutes or however long it was are actually burning their own energy hopping off somebody who is not going to affect you mm. know so it's kind of counterproductive you know i could understand maybe doing it to someone who's a bit hot-headed and might swing back at you but michael murphy's around a long time and he's been leading the line for Donegal for a long time and he wasn't going to get affected by fellas hopping off him I'll go back to Derry Donegal in a sec, but seeing as we're on this subject, I just want to know what you made of the two settings off at the weekend. So you had Michael Quinn Livin kind of reacting to Gavin Crowley, depending on what angle you look at, whether it was actually a strike or some sort of, like either way, it was a kind of a stupid dig. And you had Ronan McNamee getting sent off for Tyrone and something that could cost him. Like, you know, you'd imagine he's, I, I haven't seen the actual suspension, but you'd imagine he's going to miss the Donegal game this weekend anyway for a kind of pawing off a Cavan player a couple of times. Uh, divided opinion massively as to whether these... I think people want to see this kind of crap out of the game, but if you're suddenly being sent off for it, you are also... It's it's cruel and unusual in a way to just be kind of picked out of the bunch when it goes on in every game, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'll be honest, I'm all for the red card for it. I just think fellas are... You know, they're pushing the boundaries and there's no need of it. So I think you start turning out the red cards and getting fellas off, you'll get that habit gone. Um, the one with Michael Quinlevin like a little rabbit punch into the to the kidneys but at the same time and he's a carry man gavin crowley should be punished more than the yellow card as well because he's the one who initiates it yes michael quillivan is foolish and probably a bit of frustration from the way the game was going but there's no need for it like the, the free was won it was ball was gone it was just oh, i don't know i think it's the only way to stamp it out and get rid of it because it it is all old shite really like you know there's there's no need for it and it only adds aggro later oh. on in the game so i'm all for it i think fellas are acting the maggot and they're raising their hand or they're throwing these little like if you're going to get sent off you make sure it's for something worthwhile anyway these little jabs what's the yeah. point of it do you know um and i'm not telling fellas go throwing <laughs> big ones it is one that we're like what is it what's the need what are you looking to achieve from it do you know yeah. what's it if your man doesn't hit the deck he's going to turn around give you a little jab and next thing you know it's just it's handbags and um there's nothing worse than watching handbags. It's just like kids in a playground, you know, just yeah. leave it off, grow up, get on with the game. Look, we want the physical side of it. We want the big hits, but the, there's nothing physical about what they're doing. Like it's, it's petulant, it's childish, it's stupid. And um, I've never been a fan of it. Don't like getting involved in it as much as like, sometimes you do get drawn into it, but I'm all for it. If fellas are, willing to because it slows down the game it interrupts everything and some some players do it because that's what they want they want to soak the game so you punish them get them up get them up yeah. and they won't do it again well there's a definitive response anyway yeah um I, 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 on the fence. I, I, no on a day like this i kind of tend to agree with you i just again it's like once it's consistent i suppose you yeah. know what I mean? like, actually get it out of the game instead of uh kind that's of the big of that, you know? it's the consistency well amongst mm. most of the rules like yeah the same thing happened next week and you get two yellows or you might get a talking to so like, i think that's the big issue with a lot of the rules it's consistency what one referee sees at the red or yellow another referee doesn't so two more things i kind of wanted to just briefly talk about from the donegal dairy game and they're they're it's it's one of them is something that like in, in terms of donegal in terms of the winner i don't think we should forget that mcgrady had 
that. Like I compare, I thought of it as like killing O'Connor in the equaliser in the All Ireland final that time. I think O'Connor's might be a little bit more brave in that they were losing the game and the, as opposed to going to extra time as McBurty is, but still to just have the balls to kind of take on that shot and to trust your technique that you were going to score. Derry couldn't do that and couldn't they didn't get their shot off. And it's unfortunate because they were low percentage shots and so on and so forth. But to not to kind of, you know, almost like retire on the stool, almost not kind of having that go of it, you know, um, is definitely disappointing for them. Yeah, like I suppose like McBurty's point was outrageous. Um, probably had no right to go for it. It wasn't like he was kicking the lights out anyway. Um, Chris McKay had shackled him well all throughout. Um, like that, he kicked. Like some people say, it was a handy free before, but it was still a big score to kick. Um, and like that, it was. It was one of them ones. It's a percentage shot. When it goes over, brilliant. If it doesn't, you're going to get a bit of abuse. But you have to have the courage and the confidence uh, in your own ability to go for it. And he did. And fortune favours the brave. And obviously, up the other end, I didn't blame any of the Derry players for not taking that shot. And none of the shots were actually on. Mm. But I was just surprised that not one of them drew the man and actually tried to draw free because yeah. we all know the referees are going to give the handy free there. Draw, everyone goes home semi happy. Um, like so, I could understand the players not going for it. To be fair, the shot wasn't done. Shot no. wasn't done. Yeah. And if they'd gone for it and driven it wide, why'd he go for that shot? So it's it's another one of them hindsight. You see it in the soccer as well, like. Mm. They'd be there and they were kind of, why don't they just swing it into the box there the last few minutes and something might come of it. In the end, it goes to a fellow who shouldn't be shooting from 30 or 40 yards over the bar, put in amongst the mix or whatever. But I can understand the dairy lads not shooting um, from where they were. Yeah. But I suppose with the way the time was, you're thinking, look, you need someone with a bit of pace and a bit of power. Go at contact, little sidestep, hand goes out, you hit the deck, you're getting a free. Mm. Um, and that's all it is. They'd, um, McGuigan had kicked a great score before it where somebody went into contact with Michael Murphy actually he held Michael's hand pulled him down free you're always going to get him so that was the biggest surprise and probably disappointment and when they look back and it the players will themselves go jeez if I yeah. drew your man in there there's a kickable free there but from play they would have been hitting hopes and the likelihood of it going over is slim and then you're opening up a world of abuse that why was he shooting from there Absolutely, yeah. Look, the other thing, I, I, I don't want to be negative on Derek because I'm actually incredibly positive about them, and it's mm. it, it, it's like fine margins, and it's 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 almost the experience of playing in these big matches in a way. So it's it's not to be picking on them or to be negative. But the other thing that dawned on me, or just even watching the the highlights of Kerry again this morning and seeing Clifford getting that chance, and look, I mean, it was it was a good goal chance for any for anyone, but for Clifford, you just knew bang goal straight away. Now I don't know whether that's a Clifford thing or a Kerry thing or whatever, but for Derry, there was just it was like as if they just didn't have that clinical. So I'm just wondering from your from your point of view, Kerry, I would feel through generations, you guys would always take your goal chances when they're there, try to get them. Dublin Wood for the most part, Kilkenny in the hurling, for example, as well. Do you know what I mean? It's just always like you go and you, you know, you 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 um you be ruthless when the opportunity arises because it's worth more than three points, really. Yeah. Did you would is that something that's kind of inbuilt into you as a Kerry footballer from the first minute you go into the in, into the squad, or is it coached, or is it you know, or is it just David Clifford being David Clifford? I think it's just David Clifford being David Clifford. To be <laughs> fair, I even if I was more ruthless, I I would have had thirty goals for Kerry. I think a lot of mine went off the bar, but um, yeah, look, it is one of them things. I think the better the better players, that's the difference. Um, everything is nine out of ten with David at the moment. It seems to be. 
10 out of 10. But um, that's the difference. Um, the better players, they finish them, and the lesser players don't. So, um, no, but like that, you're told at a young age, get in there, get into the back net, get in, get out, be done with it. Um, but like we said earlier, Derry will rule the chances. There was a hand pass across the box. It's a handy tap in and just that's the difference. But like you said, it is all positive for Derry. Yeah, they'd be disappointed today, but the, the steps they've made and you're, they're going to learn so much from it. And that's what it is about. It's about when you get these opportunities, you have to take them. Otherwise, the better teams will come back and punish you. Donegal didn't play well. They turned up for 10, 15 minutes and they were ruthless. Mm. And even when there were percentage shots, they were able to take them. So, look, obviously, Davis' goal was phenomenal when yeah. it went into his hands. Look, to be honest, most of the better forwards, you'd expect him to score there. Um, but it's just the way True, he does yeah. it. It's just like like it was poor defending. Like, if there's one fella, like, if I have a choice, do I leave the ball go to David Clifford or do I give it to the wing back who's after running 60 yards with a few fellas around him? I'm staying on the wing. I'm staying on David Clifford and leaving the yeah. wing back, take his chances. Um, so it was poor defending. It was tight angle, but it was just the way he finished it. It was just boom, off the boot. It flew past the goal before he knew it. So look, there's only a few players who can do what he does, uh, but I wouldn't compare everyone to him. But no. it is one of the things they're going to they're going to risk or rue the chances they miss. And look, you learn from it. It's not easy to take initially, but I do think. It'll be all positive for Derry going forward for next year. It's just a pity that there's such a long break now. Yeah, it was the game in the championship so far, for sure. We should be getting into a few more kind of closer ones now. Anyway, we've got a Munster final to look forward to between Kerry and Cork. We've got Mayon Galway in the Connacht final and uh, Donegal and um, and Throne next week, obviously. We probably don't have time to talk about Throne and Cork and we'll definitely get to, 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 to Mayo and that whole situation in a sec. But just from Kerry's point of view then, it felt over like as soon as that game. They never really like massively stretched the scoreboard, but I get the impression, another great performance of Sean O'Shea, another great performance of Paddy Clifford, David Clifford's on absolute fire. I just get the impression people are kind of satisfied with how things are going, that they're ticking up, they're, they're motoring along through the championship so far. Yeah, I think so. Look, look some of the players, they just look, they look different this year. Um, they look very business-like. They look very serious. Um, Sean O'Shea is absolutely lifting. Um, I think the arrival of Paddy Clifford on the scene, obviously he's playing well in his own right, but I think he's freed up De- or Shawnee. Mm. Um, I think over the last two years, Shawnee, the, like the over-reliance on Shawnee to be the outlet there at centre-forward. It's hard going. He was having to sprint 40, 50 yards on a man on his back, win a ball, try and turn his man, either play it in or shoot, and maybe get on the end of had A lot of work there for one man, so... The fact that Paddy comes out, he has energy to burn. He's a great footballer. He's an intelligent footballer. It's taken the burden of Shawnee being that sole ball winner there. He's drifting close to the goal and he's flying. But no, Kerry, as a supporter, no, you'd be happy with how it's going. Look, obviously, 11 points last day against the Munster champion, champions. It was a good win. I would have expected more. Um, could have been more. Yeah, they could have doubled that, to be honest. They were playing at their ease. or strolling. The game was over at half time. But they are, they're motoring nicely. I expect them to have no real issues with Cork. I don't think Cork are at the standard at all. Um, I think the only hope Cork have against Kerry is if it's slashing rain mm. and it's a bad windy day. Um, but no, from a Kerry point of view, you'd be delighted with how they're motoring. Um, they seem to be up in the gear. The backs have um, tightened up massively since the Dublin game. Um, Mike Breen from Beaufort has come in, looks incredibly comfortable at the number five. Gavin White is like a machine up and down. Tom Sullivan is getting more minutes uh, into legs. He was put up as a spare man the weekend, kicked two, fine, should have got three. Um, mm. So look, it, it's moving in the right direction. Look, we're, we're 
nowhere near where I suppose Kerry want to be or where Pete Keane will want them to be. But they are going in the right direction. And like that, as the opposition standard gets better, you'd imagine Kerry will get better with it. Yeah. It's amazing a player like Thomas Sullivan can be the best marker in the country and also can do such a good job as a free man and kind of get a couple of scores and stuff like that. Just the, the array of talented one player is is always kind of surprising to me. You know, he could he could play a yeah. match where he could touch the ball for 70 minutes and be man of the match, or he could dominate a game like he did Cork. Yeah, most, and the most impressive stuff. thing for Tom was Tom was a wing back and he was your yeah. attacking wing back, get a couple of scores, and if yeah. you were the wing forward marking, we're going, ah, but he'll be loose and I'll be able to do a bit of damage as well. But they put him into this cornerback role, maybe a bit of trial and error, see how, can, and he's just, just sacrificed his own game when he's in there, and it's, this is my job, I'm going to nail you down. Mm. And he's, he's Kerry's best marker now. And the great thing about it, if he doesn't have to mark, leave him yeah. off. He, he, he glides up the pitch, and he's very comfortable in front of goals, and pick a pass or to score. So it is a, it is a great option for Kerry to have. Absolutely, absolutely. On to the, the sort of elephant in the room now. We don't have to spend all day in it, but I mean, we, yourself, yourself, like, shared a text during the Mayo Leitrim game yesterday, or, or it was just like, what's the point of it? Like, you know, it was just, it was hard to watch. But the, the funny thing about it, Darren, was it wasn't unpredictable. It was like, it's on TV, so everyone's watching it, but they beat Leitrim by 24 points. They beat Sligo by 20 points beforehand. There's, there's games like this all, the, the, the Munster quarterfinals weren't too far off it. And, you know, uh, the conversation is going to be kind of how do we do it better, but like I know it's it's something that Morris wrote about and we'll be talking to him about in a few minutes. But if you just kind of say right, we'll just have the second tier and don't let these teams play each other anymore, so that's not going to fix the problem either. That's not going to help Leitrim either. They might get better matches, but it's not going to improve them. We need really to just reinvent almost how we organize the GEA at this stage, uh, county by county, don't we? Yeah, I think so. Look, I think look. Hindsight's a point. I think we probably missed the trick there with COVID and with rearranging the whole structure. Look, I don't think anybody wants to get rid of the provincial championships, but they're not working. They're mm. not entertaining. You get to the final, Bar, Ulster, maybe Connacht, and they're not going to be great games. Um, they're not going to be that looking forward to them. Not at the moment. Maybe it'll change. But honestly, I think it is a case that your provincial now has to be your pre-season. Um, it gives the smaller counties a chance to win it because I suppose everyone's a bit the fitness isn't where it wants to be you play early and then it has to be a bit of an open draw and maybe you start the lesser teams and they start the competition a bit earlier playing a bit of a round robin to get into the opportunity of playing in the bigger competition but the only way to improve is playing games and a lot of these I suppose the lesser teams or the the struggling team they're not playing enough games they finish the league they get one championship game where it's a hiding mm. and then you're done for six or eight months so the likes of Kerry or Dublin or Donegal whoever it is get to the latter stages they're constantly improving they're constantly finding new players but the teams that you want to improve are sitting at home yeah and they're not getting the same TV time which I suppose Leitrim lads will probably tell you after the weekend that they didn't want um you know and then it's then everything the conveyor belt stops because you don't have younger lads seeing these boys play it every day. They need to be playing teams at their own level regularly. And that's the mm-hmm. only way to improve. You're not going to improve by going out playing a team that is just too good for you. And they're happy yeah. because you lose interest. And the kids, like if you're a kid now in Leitrim, you're, you know, you're a bit disheartened by it. Do you really want to be there going, oh, I want to go up and play against Mayo and get beaten between mm-hmm. them? Don't. Um, so there's a knock-on effect to it. Um, there's no dream there for them anymore. No, like, yeah. like for these lads, I just... Like, 
do you know what? These fellas won't want any pity or anything like that. But I felt I felt sorry for them. They were playing a team that was just too good for them. And the same team were missing three of their top players, Dermot yeah. Killian O'Connor and Lee Keegan. Mm. Do you know, three players who get on most teams in the, in the country. And they're sitting mm-hmm. in the stand and it's still like this. So, look, they have to find a way because it's just, like, it's not right. I'm not saying scrap the provincials because my favorite, one of my favorite days of the year was always the months of final in Killarney. And obviously that was when Kerry and Cork were competing at a very high level all the time. It was great games. Um, and they're massive medals. You asked the Tipperary lads and the Cavan lads from last year. That medal would mean the world to them. So I'm not saying scrap it, but I nearly use it as your pre-season before the league. So yeah. teams are well up to speed. The league is a great competition already. And imagine how good it would be if you were after a good couple of games as well. So they mm. have to look at something because it's, it's just, it's not entertaining. So we were texting, like I said, yeah. I was getting worried. So what are we going to talk about? Um, <laughs> and like that, it's like, you're just talking, like we're going back to the rules and stuff like that because the games just aren't good enough at the moment. And yeah. realistically, you're not going to get a good game till the semi-final probably. And Mayo are learning nothing either as they go and play Galway next. Like, you know, and Galway had a real game against Roscommon and their two games yeah. were worthless. And, and uh, that's a terrible thing to say. It's it's, it's no disrespect to Cabin, uh, to Leitrim and Saigo. It's where they are, but it's the truth. Like, and the other thing then is like the, the worry that I think, and we've, we've done this for, we've talked about it for years, and I don't want to get into the rights and wrongs of it, but the worry that smaller counties would have is that they're set off to this other competition. They're not part of the, the main conversation of football in the country and they're just kind of cast aside and there's no way back, I suppose, you know? Um, how do we, it's not even how do we address it. It's just that, I suppose if you, it's easy for me to say to you, oh, look, you're a Kerry player, you know, you don't understand it, but you're from a mm-hmm. club like that isn't a big club. Like, you know, I know you play with your regional team and, yeah. and everything like that, but if you guys got success and got up through the ranks and, you know, you, you, you'd only want to play kind of senior when you're ready to do it and you, you've achieved something to get to that point or else it'd be like, great, we're just in the championship by default. We're there. We get hammered by 30 points every year because there's only this many people in our town compared to we're playing against, you know, one of the two or three Killarney teams or so on and so forth. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's just no, It's a natural thing. Yeah. But if you have a great team that gets together and goes through and wins a couple of things, you'll go and say, Jesus, maybe this time we can do it and you've earned your spot. And like, isn't that ultimately, regardless of how we get it right, we have to fix everything with resources, we have to fix everything with how the, the, the levels will work. But if you just have more of a club mentality of your golden yeah. generation will have its chance. That's the way to do it, isn't it? A hundred percent. Look, I suppose my own club, like I said, we won a junior, we're intermediate, we're division two. Um if we went to division one, would we compete with maybe one or two teams, but the bigger teams would be as comfortably. Would we compete in the senior championship? No, we wouldn't. We're an intermediate team, that's our level. The prime example, and it comes to mind straight away, is Temple No in Kerry. Yeah. Very small club on the outskirts of Kim Mayor. And they have a golden generation. If you go to Tyke Morning and Gavin Crowley and the Splans, they have a novice shield, a novice medal, a junior shield, a junior medal, an intermediate medal, and they're a senior club now. Yeah. They wouldn't have big numbers. They're a small parish outside of Kimmer, but they have a golden generation of players. And that golden generation of players are inspiring these younger kids and they're, not, they're developing them. But they started at the bottom. And yeah. they've worked their way slowly up and they've earned their right to be a senior club. They're an example for every other club in Kerry and even counties. Yeah, you could say a bit of luck, you get a golden generation. Sometimes that generation doesn't come. 
but you have to earn it to get up there, I think. And at the moment, what's the point? You you play a league and you play one championship game where you get hammered and then you don't kick a ball for eight months or whatever yeah. it is. To say. Do you know, whereas I like people say, oh, it's fine for you to say you're playing for Kerry, you're always at the top table and this. But if you look at Twitter during all these games, players who have played with the lesser counties or are still playing, they're all tweeting the same thing. Yeah. Do you know, and what would you rather play one championship game, get hammered, or play teams more of your level with a chance of silverware and a promotion? Like for me, when I was playing, it was all I wanted to win. I wanted to play in the finals where there's a big crowd, and if you win, you get the medal presentation and you get to bring the cup to this. That's what you want. And that's what the local kids want to see as well. They want to see the local guy bringing the cup into the school. And I think by doing the tiers, you're giving every county that opportunity at mm. the moment. Now, the football is a bit lopsided anyway because you've very few that have the opportunity anyway. But by tiering it, you would have a lot more opportunities for people to have that moment. But it's up to the GA then to advertise it and show it on TV because there's no point having these second and third competitions if nobody gets to see it. Yeah. You know, you have to give it the respect that it deserves as well. So, look, that's obviously a conversation, but it's worked at club level. Like we've mm. all seen the um, the All Learning Club series, junior, intermediate, senior. They're shown on TV. The buzz it creates around the place. So, there's no reason why it wouldn't work at county level. But it's up to the GA then to give it the respect it deserves, give it the media coverage and the TV coverage. Yeah. Darren, I couldn't agree more. And it's a bit, hopefully this is like one of the last times this year that we're talking too much about kind of uh, not the actual game. I think it's yeah. so important. Like it really is. It, it's, it, it, it's funny. We talk about it being a cliche and stuff like that, but it's the it's the most important thing that's happening at the moment. But we've yeah. still got Kerry and Cork to come. We've got uh, Donegal and Tyrone next week. We've got a, a good Connacht final now. In, 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 in And we even got, even got Mead hoping to... Fingers crossed here. Well, now, think, a big game <laughs> me, me and I can't say handicap because we're going to do it. Uh, in, in, in the lads are going to guess it in a few minutes, but the bookies definitely don't think we'd have a chance despite scoring 422 against Longford. Yeah, they're still getting big scores. I think the big question will be will Cluxton be centre back? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, look, I, it's, look, to be honest, the, the one thing about the Dublin game is. They played it, look, look, there were probably no motivation, whatever, but they were away from home. Mm-hmm. Motivation was low and they struggled. Yeah. So if your motivation isn't where it needs to be or your focus and you're going away from home, not, I'm not yeah. saying they're going to get beaten. But can but they it might, be bit, on like that? it might be a bit more entertaining for us, all us <laughs> neutrals, instead of a team going up to Crow Park, wide open space in Dublin, are just swanning around. See, that's the bottom with Crow Park. The pitch is so big. Teams are gassed after 25 minutes, especially if they're playing in the lower divisions. Yeah. Because they're not used to the intensity. That's it. That's it. Uh, well, we'll see what happens anyway. Uh, we'll chat I, in, in a couple of weeks, I'd say. We'll probably, uh, the, the two the two finals in the hurling will probably take presses next week. But, Darren, that was brilliant stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Oh, right. thanks. Cheers, mate. Great stuff from Darren there, as always. Uh, really, really great stuff. Um, 
Oh, and some interesting thoughts as well. And not always, in the, in, unfortunately, the most positive, but hopefully that becomes uh, more so as the season goes on. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to the channel, be it on YouTube or the podcast. Um, we're here with you every Monday with Darren O'Sullivan talking about football. We've got Shane McGrath on hurling as well. We'll have Shane back with us next week. Um, guess the handicaps coming up later. Finchie's going to pick his favourite hurling helmets of all time. Again, uh, this is like, we're getting to read the crux of the matter on GEA stuff. But up next, we're getting inside the game um, with Morris Brosnan. Well, Morris Brosnan does join us once again from uh, sunny slash rainy Melbourne, uh, where people don't really understand, Morris, that it's actually real-life winter over there and uh, not just kind of like the, the winter we used to see on Home and Away that didn't really exist. Yeah, people including me. I had absolutely no idea that I was arriving to really cold Melbourne until I got here and uh, very quickly had to redo my entire wardrobe because <laughs> I rapidly realized I wasn't equipped for it. I know, yeah, a lot more jumpers than you'll ever expect uh, uh, <laughs> But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about GEA, which you are spending a lot of time watching, um, despite your uh, your your um, your physical distance from most of the action. Um, and we're going to talk, like as we do, talk about your GEA embedded article from last week. Talk about what you've got coming up this week. We'll get into all that in a minute. But we haven't talked about hurling. Obviously, we were talking to to Darren, but the qualifier draw was made this morning. And it brought up some interesting results. So we have a round one of Waterford versus Leash. Um, I think I could have seen that coming. And I could have even more seen that the other round one match is Clare versus Wexford. It means that Cork and Galway get a buy into the next round. Cork and Galway, who have only played one game and lost it, uh, get an extra week off, get a less game that they have to play to go and win the All-Ireland. Then Clare, Wexford and indeed Leash, who uh, all won a game uh, so far this year. So that's a very fair situation, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Like I don't know. This this draw for me is very funny. You know, like I am. Um, if you had asked me before the draw, what result I didn't want? I honestly didn't want Claire and Wexford because I kind of was a bit. I thought I was a bit sick of the conversation around this and the rivalry and everything. And now it happened, and I was like <laughs> hopping off the scene and unbelievably excited. Uh, so I guess <laughs> it, it goes to prove <laughs> that maybe that's not the case. I I actually didn't. I'll be honest. I didn't consider the imbalance of the structure until you said it there. And mm. uh, I kind of can't come up with a rational argument against it. You know, I know like the people will be listening to us here now, right? And they'll be rolling their eyes at the idea of another championship structure debate, which is totally fair enough. But, you know, the reality is that there's a very simple solution. You incentivize winning games. And if you've lost your opening game, you decentivize that. You know, we're not talking like anything drastic here. This wouldn't have happened in the right structure. Sorry, I mean in the, in the new hurling championship structure because no. you have the, the round robin format and the top two teams, third team going through to a preliminary quarterfinal. But it's just the fact that we've had the structure we've had for the last two years. And Clare have been screwed by it two years in a row, really, um, mm. you know, in terms of getting the first round game. And, you know, it's not actually from a, from a Clare perspective or whoever wins this weekend, I don't think it's even it's this week or next week that'll affect them. I think it's trying to get on beyond that because you're, you're coming through a bear pit. So if you take yeah. Clare last year, for example, right, what, what really hurt Clare for me, they uh, had that cracker against Leash last year. That's just coming back to me now, which was a brilliant game. Came out the next week and bet Wexford last year, which was also a really good game. And then they were re- they were flat when they started against Waterford. Now, that's totally understandable when you think about it. You're coming off three, like the Leash game was unbelievably competitive, maybe more competitive than they actually would have uh, anticipated. And then you mm. go to the next game and it just hurts you down the line. So this, like the draw, it's a great draw. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for these games. But at the same time, it puts, you know, whoever comes out this weekend on a massive back foot. And uh, yeah, I kind of like, as you said, I really do agree with you. It's unfair. 
yeah, from a fan perspective, like I do actually see that it's probably the best one because you keep you keep Waterford are going to get back on track. You would think. No offense, Leash. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get that marquee game on the week when you've got the provincial finals, but that that Clare and Westford will grab the attention and will and and you know and you losing one of those teams isn't the end of the world for the wider GEA population. Whereas losing Cork or Galway at this early stage probably would be. So you kind of. All, all the good teams are there. But I, I just think there's too much reliant on, in a system what, that you had where you had two provinces, they all played each other in round robin, and it was getting to that stage where this is only, you know, home and away is the only variable here, you know, and, uh, yeah. and that was every year. Whereas now you're in a situation where Clare have been done by a draw twice, you know, because they got the hardest route possible in Munster, you know, having to play the three games, obviously having to beat Water for Tipperary, and then it would have been Limerick to win a Munster title is is nigh on impossible these days. You would say, and then to get done by a draw again, then when there is an an, an easyable, e- easy, easy, easily fixable, easy for me to say, Morris, um situation here. So that just kind of annoys me. But mentioning Waterford possibly being in a like, well, I would say almost certainly being in a stronger position in round one of the qualifiers than Clare after Clare and beating them is definitely, it, it, it rings all the bells in my head of unfair, unfair, unfair when it's the team that you support that's involved, absolutely. But it does raise an intriguing thing of like riding off leash again because I'll tell you one thing, I definitely rode off leash at the weekend against the, the season they had had, um, the, the the way, I mean, their performance against Wexford was dissected in so many ways by hurling analysts as to how poor it was and how naive it really was. And they'd obviously had this disastrous league. They were relegated. Antrim had already beaten them, despite a closer game, I think, than people think. And then they just come out and blitzed Antrim in the first half. And I was thinking to myself, it's like, Jesus, fair play. And there is something to be said for the experience of having played in big games and in championship big games over the last three or four years, or two or three years, whatever it is to be. Yeah, absolutely. Like that that's that's something we probably return to later on. But the fact that Leash have that bank there, I think will really stood to them at the weekend. Um, you know, something as simple as right, like uh, I'm this I'm not this I wouldn't say this in a critical sense, but just something as shrewd as to get the red card, you know, you're down to thirteen men, so you've got the, the sin bin, then Ross King gets sent off. And what's the first thing that uh, Leash do? Two men go down. You know, uh, John Sucre, the, the physio, comes on to help uh, Paddy Purcell tie his laces, right? A minute later, and Rowling was down. He's fixing the contact. You know, that's that's in-game. That that makes, that, you know, I'm not criticising that for, for a second. That's that's shrewd. You know, you, you've got 10 minutes here. You're down to 30 men. You need to make up every single minute. Uh, if you, Whatever means you want to do it by, you can do it by. If Ender Rowling has to fix the contacts, you know, what's a Sean Clare referee? What's he going to say to him? So, uh, you know, even just something as simple as that, something uh, as shrewd as that. And, you know, I... I think that game, I was really impressed by Leisha's ability. You know, the last, whatever, three years, we're talking about uh, the template, the, the new game of Hurling, uh, you know, possession versus position, that kind of thing. And uh, I think Limerick have kind of become the template that a lot of teams are trying to adopt. And that, what you know, what is Limerick's system? It's, you know, if you were to break it down, they can mix it a lot of different ways, but you've got a, a really dogged working, incredibly physical uh, half-forward line. You would not, you know, if you try and play a short passing game through that, you're trying to go through, you know, Willard Unhu and Gareth Hegarty and Morrissey, um, and that you know that system looks really impressive, and you could see Antrim definitely are committed to this short passing game. Uh, Ryan Elliott, the goalkeeper, is you know I don't think he put the ball outside outside his own half at all. He's you know they're really committed to that short building game. And Leash, I think, made a, a shrewd change, which is they went back to a kind of an agricultural. You know I don't want to do them a disservice here, but you know like if Cheddar Punk had sat down and looked at what do I what do we have here at our disposal? You know what do we how do we make the most of what we have here? And he decided. Right, we've got Ender Roland with a monster puck out. So mm-hmm. if we got Ender Roland with a monster puck out, and if we've got a really dogged, determined inside forward line, 
why would we withdraw players? Why would we bring Ross King out the field where he might get swallowed? Where instead, let uh, Ender Rowland drop the ball on top of him, go direct. And, you know, four four scores in the first half. The very first Ross King's very first point is Ender Rowland, the goalkeeper, poking the ball, something you don't see anymore, poking a long puck out in on top of Ross King. And it works. So he gets the score. He gets fouled for the yellow card. Suddenly, then you're thinking, let it rain. You know, put the ball down in on top mm. of him. Uh, if, if, if King can get out in front and he's fouled, he sent off you know it's, it's down to 14 men uh, he kicks he hits the one on his right which he actually puts wide uh, and then you know the, the alternative so the, the thing that you need to change from that this will some people will think this is really simplistic analysis but uh what you know what the what the leash lack against wexford to my mind you know when you talk about uh you had a lot of players behind the ball and they weren't busy so what you mean by that is what i mean by that is you know your players in position they're retreating behind the ball and they're not picking up a man they're not in an tackle and, you know, people can kind of, oh, you know, it's this cliche about intensity or, you know, work rate or whatever you want to call it. But ultimately, that's what changed at the weekend. You know, look at the the best example of this is both leash goals. Ball goes long inside the forward line. They don't clean, take, take the ball clean. So, you know, as a statistic, you'd say, oh, that's poor use of possession. But what do they do? They work like dogs. You know, Paddy Purcell, who's just like a really wiry, I love watching him play, like a real wiry warrior of a, a wing forward run up and down all day you know he'd drive his very first point driving hard at players you know he took an unbelievable belt in the chest got back up kept going that so what he, they do they press he gets on the ball goal Se- second half you're down to 13 men end roll and still commit to the long ball which you know you or i and a lot of uh analysts would look at that and say wow that's so silly you know you need to use possession right uh one versus three inside there but what did he do the ball goes in and antrim claim it and chad wire like a dog puts in an insane amount of work you know tackling uh, harry and fix the ball away ball breaks Paddy Purcell come on to a score a goal. That's the game right there, you know. So, like, mm. I, one thing that I admire about Cheddar Punkett is that his ability to, you know, just just put what do we have here in leash. What, what how can we set up and ultimately going with a game plan that, you know, we if I had if you described that to me before the game, honestly, I probably would have said that's that's prehistoric hurling. We won't. That was not going to work anymore. But it did because yeah. that's the play, players leash have at their disposal. Yeah. And to be able to adapt from a game plan as well, like when it didn't go right as well yeah. as another kind of virtue there. Like so it brings us to actually a PC road on, on on balls last night after you know the Sunday game about the uh about football structures really. And look, me and Darren, we talked about it for a good bit there and everything that goes into it. But there was a couple of bits that sort of caught my eye in that and, and one I think can be brought into a more wide a wider GEA conversation rather than even just football. But you know, your point being that it's a lot more than just changing the structure that's going to help weaker counties develop and it's funny when you're writing that i'm thinking to myself you know there is a sense of hurling being the example there and that the joe mcdonough cup is working the christie ring system is working you do see development in a brilliant week for kildare this week you know but you know awfully are probably getting back on track again like you know you see leash kind of hanging on there but then there's a, there's a point of like when does that become not just like a convenient place to put all the other counties who are going playing each other and when does it become a true development a true to elite you know like when is the team going to go and break through and be a carlo westmead leash antrim Kerry, whoever it might be maybe it's kildare you know but when does that team go and join the top table in a real tangible way over a long period of time and it's not that necessarily that has to happen straight away but are we on a path where that's what we want from these structures rather than just like a place where they can all have competitive games, but ultimately nobody's going to watch them. So people aren't going to watch Leitrim versus Sligo. It might be better for everybody involved as they're just playing each other and not Mayo. But at the same time, how do we get to a point where actually there's an incentive for Leitrim to genuinely grow and someday play Mayo? 
Yeah, ex- exactly. So I think this is this is really important. Like, I think it's it's probably the most important issue that the GE need to come to terms with at the minute is that there were, you know, in Gaelic or in Hurling, there will always be a gap. It's inevitable, right? You're going to have a top tier, you're going to have a bottom tier, and, and that's just that's just part of it. But for the sake of competition, you need there's a a middle tier who are doing things right, who are try, who are committed to growing, who have the potential to grow, like in terms of population, in terms of coaching, in terms of enthusiasm, and for you know. Uh, decades that's not happening you know it's 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 a real massive issue is that we're not the, the breakthrough teams that we saw in the 90s since then we've it, the gap is widening it's, it really is widening and you know so from my perspective like you know that it's one thing that struck me about the weekend actually with in terms of a football conversation is that a lot of people were really uh frustrated by totally untenable frustrated by the games they saw at the weekend look at that's fair enough but what like are you frustrated because this is happening, or are you frustrated because you have to watch it? Because they're two very different things. And to my mind, that was no, my other point. I was going to it. That was the line that caught me because you're dead right. Because I watched that, I knew that that match was going to be close to that score, but because it was on at the two o'clock game on RTE, and it was like the only game available to watch at the time, and it wasn't the GEA Go game that you have to look out, reach for, and look for. It was the game that we were stuck with, and I was like, "What's the point in watching this?" And you could sense everybody getting gradually more and more angry as the first half went on. I would say, even though. I would argue that result or even the way the game went was in no way unexpected. Yeah, exactly. And that's spot on there. And, you know, from my mind, like, the example I gave in that piece that you mentioned there is Limerick, who, like Limerick footballer, sorry now, who, like, if you build a blueprint of what you want teams to do, Limerick hit, hit a, a very low point at 2016, uh, you know, they bottomed out effectively. And, you know, what the, they tried to rebuild, and they did that by appointing you know, really enthusiastic local people who have the game's, genuine interest at, at heart you know so Billy League was in as football manager uh, his brother Joe was in as the minor manager uh, these are people who know Limerick football who are really passionate about Limerick football um, slowly starts to rebuild every time you talk to them he talks about long term we had Billy on the so-called weaker podcast in uh, the year they bet Tipperary was that 2019 I think it was they bet Tipperary by seven points 2019 and the first thing Billy said to us is you know like we're not looking for the same treatment as Ireland we know our position in this county all we're looking is for a long-term plan build a foundation all the right stuff right that sounds great and then you know they actually do it they get Paul Knurkin as a who would, would be most known now for his work as with the hurlers but he was a footballer originally he sets up the, uh, an academy system they employ a load of local Sorry, employees the wrong word. Volunteers, lo- former players who played, you know, Pat Ranahan, um, Shawnee Buckley, they all come on board as uh, development officers, but they're volunteers, right? So they try and they do everything possible to, bril- to break that ceiling, to build that gap. And their reward for the last two years is uh, to be competitive in Munster and get no development games after that. So they lose to Tipperary by a freak, you know, and an incredible, but a freak sideline uh, that, you know, that go back to that game and Nimmerkin in the Munster final. They're, they're not there. Um, this year, you know, they. Go, they're competitive against Cork. What is it? Tim, Tim has left their four points down, and there's no pass for them to kick on. You know, and the thing that re- strikes me, you know, like you know, as well as all that work is, and as well intentioned as it is, underneath that, that needs to be, it needs to be drilled home. And in 2019, Limerick advertised for a development officer, a full-time development officer. It was a really big announcement. It, w- it was welcomed. That appointment hasn't come. Look, at you can blame COVID, but at, at the same time, this is the kind of stuff that I think is most pressing for the GA. And you know, Cheddar Plunkett after the Leash game. I like I, I really admire Cheddar. I think uh, he speaks really well. I think he, he was a great pundit. He, he always gives good interviews, and uh, even as a manager. But I, you know, I categorically disagree with him about his uh, what would you call it? His reluctance for the tears. He, that, that how he he kind of slammed the system after the game. And I think this is the way that it needs. To, you know, this is the way that the likes of Antrim. You know, Antrim were got exposed to these teams in the league this year. Got exposed to them in the championship. Look, at it, it's really disappointing that they got. Uh, relegated but they can build they're going into a savagely competitive Joe McDonough 
which is a brilliant competition. And the thing that we need to ask now from a hurling perspective isn't, you know, do we need to change the system? It's what needs to happen next. You know, like, could we centralize something like strength and conditioning? That's, that's a big gap. You know, Eddie Brennan spoke a lot about this with Leash. That was one thing that he really noticed, that that was a gap that needed to build. Like, if we could centralize that kind of stuff, I think that's how you, you bridge that gap. And the, the, my issue with football is that, um, this has been said before, we actually talked about this uh, about a year ago, is that the tiers are, uh, right now, the system that is, go- is coming, people th- think it's welcomed. It's an afterthought. Like if you're relegated after playing in a championship and go back down, it's, it's out of sight, out of mind. That's the only purpose of it. It's, it's, a, it's a glorified Tommy Murphy Cup. It doesn't work. That, like, it, you know, in terms of, it works from, from our perspective and look at it, it's a spectacle and they play competitive games and you think they get development, but they don't because, you know, where, where is the evidence for that? You know, and th- this is evidence by, as, as great as the system is in hurling, Carlo, um, I remember you know, we were, I think, on the forefront of this Carlo rising hurling stuff. Um, the first interview that Paul Cody did after that, when, when Carlo Cody was with us, and he, he told us on the, that podcast that I mentioned earlier, the first thing he said was, you know, we need to get in. We, we had six clubs in Carlo, now we're down to four. We need to get development officers in here. This can't just be a flash in the pan. We need, from promotion perspective, he said, you know, this needs to be inspiring kids. None of that happened. And, you know, Carlo haven't kicked on since then. Like, he was, he was 100% right, unfortunately, but he was 100% right. And the fear is that that, you know, we look at Leash and we look at Antrim, and it's so great to see them as competitive as they are. But what are we going to do to get them up again to, to that next level? That's, I think, you know, the, the tears can't be the destination, as I think it might have actually have been in Hurling. It has to just be a starting point. And yeah. I, I, I would worry that, from a football context, that a lot of people think that that's, you know, problem sorted, tears are in, move, move on. And no. uh, it's not, you know, it, it doesn't serve, no. uh, it doesn't serve the, the goal we want. It isn't. It's why people are holding on and are so against the tier system because they will be just cast aside and forgotten about. And but like, and if you have something like the John McDonough Cup with that equivalent, whatever, it gets more interest than you would expect in a way because it is fiercely competitive and it's good. People would prefer to watch competitive sport than not, but at the same time, it's always going to be less than. And yeah, like I mean, structural change. We we always talk about structure. It's always championship structures. Actual GEA structural change exactly yeah. in investment and development and so on and so forth and look honestly a more uh, centralized system that you know money is divided in where it's needed rather than where it's uh, raised I think is probably what we need and then maybe we would all get a little bit more behind a real tiered system and you know uh, one that the people don't feel like is just getting rid of the undesirables who go out and lose by 20 points um, and, on national television. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, right, like, like this isn't to undermine the tier system in itself, because I do think the tier system, you know, the, I remember, um, I just got a flashback there earlier, 2019, uh, you came into the office one Monday after, I think Kerry bet Westmead, it was a big shock, and you were hopping off the wall, as buzzing, watching Shane Conway, I think, uh, like, don't, don't quote me on this, but something like Kerry hit 20 points, Shane Conway hit 15. It was like an unbelievable game. It was the first year of the John McDonough Cup and I remember we were just buzzing like this is the this is the future this is great and but you know in reality it's what happens next now like what the, what can carry what can we do to get carry hurling this you know that has to be the base point because those kind of yeah. teams you know there's teams below that right at, at, you know there, there will always always be a gap in every single sport there's going to be a gap and that's fine but there's teams in the middle here who actually could penetrate who could make the competition better if they had just you know a little leg up like and, and i think that's where I, I really hope that that is part of the conversation from a tactical cut perspective or whatever it, it becomes down the line that uh whatever we incorporate you know the, the tears it serves us like look we don't have to watch 
or one-sided games but what does it do for the game like and i really hope mm. that that's where uh, we can go next is that we can kind of service the game because uh it's there you know the whole the whole point is that the framework is actually there like limerick have, have they've done all the work they have a yeah. they have a coaching structure they have an underground structure all they need now is, is a leg up and and they'll be you know they'll be competitive they'll be making most of finals they'll make if you want to hold on to the provincial system and flip it the way some people want where provincial first league second limerick will make that provincial way better to have a competitive limerick that'll be brilliant so mm. from from you know that from that perspective i think that's um that's definitely something that needs to be taken into consideration whatever happens next Absolutely. We've used up most of our time uh, on uh, your GA Embedded this week article this week by, by the piece that you wrote last night, which is basically the same kind of thing. We're getting in, in, inside the game in a, in, a, in a more detailed way. But you did write about the Dublin cliche of doing the basics, doing the most straightforward stuff, and how we kind of laugh it off in over time. And it's, it's funny because you wrote about like hand signals last week. We spoke about it not being the be-all and end-all. And it's like, what actually is the be-all and end-all end -all is like, you know, hand passing and uh, soloing and doing all these things. And But more and more in sport, we see that when those things are ignored, you know, and this goes across a lot further than just GEA, but when the, these are the most important things, you get things like Dublin dynasties or New England Patriots, Patriots dynasties. Yeah. So, like, you know, I think the reason you you roll your eyes, I do anyway, when you hear this stuff, is because some people kind of you know invest a, a huge amount in it and pretend, or oh, you know, the, the the biggest difference between Dublin and everybody else is that they do the basics, which obviously isn't true. But I also think that uh, some teams lose sight of the fact that the basics are the most important. This is a, this is a really similar conversation that I would we had last week, Mick, because mm -hmm. last week we were talking about you know an efficient use of your time. What are you best served doing? And, you know, if you could master, Karen Donnie had actually had a really good point after the Cavan um, game at the weekend, Cavan Tyrone, where Jim McGuinness was saying, you know, the big difference for him is, uh, is conditioning. There's certain conditioning between these two teams is there's a big gap here, and that's ultimately the golf. And, uh, you know, like, no, that's, that's good analysis, right? That, fair enough. But Donnie countered that on Sky and said, you know, uh, why is Cavan's conditioning so exposed? And the reason Cavan's conditioning is so exposed is because Killian Clark is running the ball up the field and he sold his ball too high and they lose it and spend five minutes trying to chase it back. That uh, a basic kick, a kick pass to a man in acres of space goes astray and Cavan are running all over the field trying to get the ball back, you know. So as a coach, you can say, right, we need to invest heavily in strength and conditioning. We need to get ultra fit and we need to be able to press and chase down. Or you can say we can get good at soloing and kicking the ball, you know, skill execution at a high level. And we won't have to concern about that. You know, if you, if you had that technical proficiency, that isn't a concern anymore. And I think that's, you know, one thing that Dublin do really, really well is that, you know, those, those like errors, on, even, and, you know, the reason that Dublin are so good is that they're so good at basics that even in really high pressure situations, they don't fall apart. There's not an inter-county player in the game right now who can't catch, kick, solo, hand pass the ball. You know, the, mm. th those days are long gone. But can you do it at you know, a ultra high level under pressure? And the way that you can instill that is on the training field, you know, by, by training under those conditions. And uh, I do think, you know, you know when, Dub when people talk about that with Dublin or the Patriots is another example where, you know, like there's, you know, Belichick is, is taking it to a, a cliche level where he says, you know, it's, that's the be all and end all for him is basics. And to my mind, that's not him saying that he doesn't use analytics. It's blatantly obvious that he uses analytics and uh, really complicated plays and, you know, his appreciation for that. But... It's also he he understands how important that is, you know. Belichick's favorite player is a safety, is Ed Reed. Anytime you hear him talk about it, he's he, you know he lauds him. You talk to Dublin players, you know, as much as as good as their forwards are, the people who who get the most praise are you know James McCarthy, Brian Fenton, the heartbeat of that team uh, who power along that way. Kieran Kilkenny, you know, Kieran Kilkenny's a, a skill efficiency in terms of you know, uh, you just mentioned earlier, like a, something as simple as a hand pass, you know, that like his. 
his ability to do that over and over again at a really high level, that's kind of the difference to my mind between that yeah. and a, a situation like Kevin, who, you know, I, I think, I think it is in one way it's over discussed, but in another way it's underrated. You know what I mean? Like I think if you're trying to look at it from a, from a team's perspective, getting good at that is a, is, is, you know, it's a simple thing that has a significant impact on your team. An intercounty footballer once told me that he was never uh, once in his life coached how to kick a football. And, you know, had a very, very good career and could kick a ball fine. But you can only imagine is like the amount of time this man would have spent in his career uh, on tactics and kickouts and various different little things. Whereas how much better could he have been if people were teaching him and all of his teammates from club level all the way up to county how to kick a ball more efficiently? You know, exactly. but you do a lot. Like, you don't. You do like surely that is a starting point, and you would imagine that in some places they do work on things like that. You know, and, and make that you know, you're so right to say that because you know if, if I was, if you look at the Derry game last weekend and people talk about you know like what is the thing that Derry need to do? So Derry could spend the next ten sessions talking about um, different scenarios, how they close out that game, the scenarios that happened there, or you know, and this is not the pick, this is not the scapegoat, but just one example, they could you know, uh, coach McGuigan to kick on his right foot and when that ball comes across with the goal chance and he has to come back around and hit it on his left, he kicks it on his right and it either goes, it's a goal or at the very least it's a point. And, you know, that's that's the difference there, you know. like So we can overcomplicate this stuff. Like if, 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 you know, if he could, you mentioned the kick pass there, like people would say, you know, what are you talking about? That's a perfect example. You know, Derry, the, the inability to kick a ball on your right foot, the same thing happens at, at the end of the game. You know, your players have been forced onto their left foot and they're low percentage shots. Why are they low percentage shots? Because they can't kick on their bad foot. And, mm. you know, that's not an issue for, for Dublin. How many times have we seen, like, Paul Mannion, or, you know, it's not just Dublin, for example, you know, David Clifford is another one, kicking, you know, expertly left, right foot. And it just, you know, it's a simple thing. Like, it's a really simple thing. You're, you're drilling into under-12s, but uh, it still has a massive difference at, at inter-county level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, enjoyed that, Morris. We could have went on for another 10 minutes, as yeah. usual. Now, uh, you'll be back with us next week. You'll have another piece um, for us to talk about and various other things that we don't get to have with one of our guests. But, um Thanks a million for joining us. Uh, enjoy the enjoy the week in uh, in in uh, Melbourne, where I believe there's some Italian uh, festival style things there uh, going on. So enjoy the Euros win for your now adopted Italians. Yeah, it's much better than having English style uh, celebrations here in Melbourne. So uh, I, I'll gladly uh, join them once I'm finished up here. Cheers, Mick. No worries. Thanks a million to Morris. Don't forget, if you're enjoying the show or if you've just come across us now, to please subscribe. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, just subscribe to the channel. We're here. We, we'll have uh, videos for you uh, almost every day, really, across the balls.ie channel. And if you're listening on the podcast, please do subscribe and share thrown out five-star rating or a comment in there for us as well while you're at it. Right. We're going to guess the handicaps in a couple of minutes with um, Gary and PJ. PJ absolutely determined this week to finally uh, knock Gary off his perch. But before we get to that, as we always do, our man, Sean Finch Meehan, he covers the important aspects of GEA. You might think what me and Morris have just been talking about or what we were talking about with Darren earlier is actually important. But what's really important is what Finch is about to get to now. And he's going to go through the most, the greatest GEA helmets of all time. And you'll you'll know them all. All hail the trailblazer. Galway's Connor Hayes started the wave. And with his gaudy, leather-bound helmet, it didn't protect him, but it was wavy. Is this the most iconic helmet of all? Joe Dean's yellow companion was there throughout his stellar career. It was always too big for him, but it never halted his greatness. Here's another famous yellow helmet. 
but just check out the chin strap on that thing. That's as strong as George O'Connor's moustache. And it rightfully won an All-Ireland in 96. For a man with a head of scruffy red hair, Brian Lowen needed a scruffy red helmet, and that's exactly what he had, although he often discarded it when it came to the championship moments. The round micro helmet was the toast of the GAA for about three years, and nobody rocked it quite as well as the sparrow, Jero Lachlan. What an icon. If O'Loughlin was the poster boy for the micro, then Colin Bonner was a poster boy for the Cooper. Listen, they were basically old style ice hockey helmets, but they stood out. Iconic doesn't necessarily mean good, and although Timmy McCarty did eventually get rid of this, that is an upside down washing basket on his head. This is from the early days of John Milan's career when helmets weren't compulsory, and his red helmet certainly qualifies. He usually wear it for about five or six minutes before chucking it away. In this list, we're talking about overall helmets, but in Martin Story's case, one accessory stands alone above the rest. The strongest chin strap ever. Although he eventually realized the purpose of a helmet, Noel McCarthy's early court career just had him wearing a basin on his head. There's no ear guards or anything. Listen, this helmet is nothing to write home about, but it's iconic because of the combination of Shefflin, the green of Ballyhale, and the black and amber of Kilkenny. Striking. Lark Orbit is on this list because of the combination of everything. Yes, the yellow helmet is striking, but a lot of tip players wore it. But the high socks, the success, it's gotta be. The 1988 Hurler of the Year, Tony Keady was a trailblazer, and his white helmet was so intrinsic to him that at his funeral in 2017, it was brought to the altar. Okay, we're back for Guess the Handicaps. I believe PJ and Gary are with us. Um, here are the boys now. That favorite GEA or favorite hurling helmet, I suppose. I don't know why we're calling it a GEA helmet. You don't see you don't see them used too much across uh across football land. Uh I, I do love that George O'Connor combination. Uh, the yellow yeah. helmet. The tank had had a chin strap. How how do lads who didn't have chin strap, how did it actually stay on? You have to question their kind of work rate. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I always wondered one how Niall O'Connor stayed on, or Niall um, McCarthy stayed on, in that it was just kind of balancing on the top of his head throughout an intense game of Championship hurling. But Joe Deans it was more how did he see through it? It was always down yeah. over his eyebrows, like you know. I, I think it's interesting as well that the, we've really lost the variety in helmets since the, mm. they became mandatory about what ten or eleven years ago now. I yeah. think all those really interesting ones are from the previous twenty, like 20, 20 30 years ago. Yeah. The best you'll get these days is a is a, a, a two tone, um, mm. but yeah, unfortunately, everything is quite the same. Uh, Gary, you're sitting there quietly, uh, sitting there, kind of like in in just like supreme uh, comfort, I would suppose. Uh, the confidence of having dominated, guess the handicaps throughout the season, really, but in the championship, you've been absolutely untouchable. Um, as we go into uh, week three of this, um, is it week three or week four? Week four. <laughs> anyway. We've got five games to pick from this week. As usual, uh, I, give, I give the fixtures for the weekend. The lads taking turns to go first, pick what they think the handicap is going to be um, with the bookies. And whoever wins, wins. We're going to start with the hurling qualifier, the um, much-anticipated and predicted draw of uh, Clare and Wexford, David Fitzgerald versus Brian Lohan, seven, <laughs> probably at this stage. Um PJ as challenger. Oh, Joe, you know actually, you went first last week and it didn't work out. So I, I'm determined to 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 get Gary off his perch here. Gary, you're going to go first here. Claire and Wexford in the qualifiers. Not sure what day this game is going to be on yet. It'll be either Saturday or Sunday next week. 
I wasn't expected to go first, so I'm kind of I'm rattled here early on already. But uh, yeah, look, Clare and Wexford, it feels like they play every about three weeks at this stage. Well, <laughs> maybe they do, maybe they do <laughs> actually. But uh, I don't know. This game is like it's kind of hard to predict because Wexford were obviously like that game against Kilkenny last week was unbelievable. So they played well. Uh, Clare got a win and then kind of threatened to do the same against Tipperary, and we all know what happened in that game. So. I think these this these teams are very well matched. Um, it'd be interesting to see what way it goes. I actually, to be honest, I don't really even really know who's going to be favoured here. I'm yeah. guessing it's probably going to be Clare. Um, I think Clare at home, are they? Do we I did, know? They're at home, yeah. I'm actually not 100 percent sure if the uh, the venues haven't been named yet, but I'm not sure if there is a home and away thing to the qualifiers. So, um, yeah, look, we'll see. Somebody calling for James Owens to referee this game uh, <laughs> in the comments there. I'm not sure that might be the... the... Anyway, look, so you've got the James Owens thing, you've got the Davy Lohan thing, you've got the COVID stuff and the, the close contact stuff from earlier on in the year. There's a, there's just a lot going on with this game. You've got the fact that Claire knocked out Wexford and really kind of like a, a such a disappointing end to Wexford season last year. You weren't even sure if Davy was going to be back after it. Um, there's so much going on. I've stalled enough for you there, uh, <laughs> Gary. Who's, who's yeah. Well, who's if if the VAR official from the Euros, the England and Denmark game, can get the Euro twenty twenty final, I don't see any reason why James Owens couldn't referee this game. Uh, so to be honest, but I would say Clare are probably favourites. I'm going to say minus two, but I'm not at all confident here. So I think PJ could have me. Hmm. Um. I, I'm glad Gary went Clare minus two. Because uh, <laughs> we go I, I go say Clare minus one. Uh, it's, a, it's a, quite an interesting game because the two teams come into this game feeling very uh, kind of co- contrasting feelings. I would say about their previous games, whereas mm. Wexford probably feel they left it behind them against uh, Kilkenny, and like they were like they had that numerical advantage in extra time when when uh, Owen Murphy was uh, was in bend. Um, like and Clare would probably feel like they were robbed. Against uh, against Tipperary, I mean, like, that wouldn't be like Clare now. We don't know. We don't normally feel like we're robbed or aggrieved in any way. Uh, you know, even though we didn't get the buy, haven't won a match, and they're in a worse position than Waterford. Sorry, I'm just I, I'm after going off on one there, PJ. But we wouldn't be the type of county to feel aggrieved now or robbed. Or yeah. anything. I, I have a lot of uh, Clare friends. I'm in a I'm in a Clare a WhatsApp group with a lot of Clare people. I was at a Clare wedding last week, and uh, yeah, let, let me say that there is a definite feeling that they were robbed. I, I, and confirm that. Um, yeah, I, there, was a, there was really kind of inevitability about this game. Like it was like it was like a force drawing these two teams together. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, like there all that documented kind of animosity between uh, between the two managers. Yeah, I I think Claire minus one. Yeah, you had it five minutes ago. Claire minus one. It is what a start it is. Got, putting Gary first is the I wouldn't put my finger my my my. Uh, Tom in the controls. What's the Tom in the scales uh, here? But you know, if I was to, I would have let uh, that. That's how I would do it. Leinster final up next. Sticking with the hurling, we'll do three three hurling games, two football games. It's it's a really really good weekend of uh, GA ahead. But Leinster final is on Dublin versus Kilkenny, uh, which is a novel Leinster final in itself, I suppose. PJ, but mm. also one that you know, how much credit do Dublin get for that Galway game, and are people in that position now where they're just really scared of Kilkenny because Wexford did show up yeah. and still uh, cast them aside in the end? 
Um, I, it, like it was a really good Dublin performance. I thought against Galway, there was like a really good collective team performance. There was like there was no real kind of weak spots. I mean, like goalkeeper mm. was really good. Connor Buck was really good midfield. Danny Sutcliffe was great. Um, like that, the goal from Chris Crummy was fantastic. Like the pass from Ronan Hayes across him, Chris Crummy's control. Like, but there, I, I do. There is a feeling that the victory was probably more down to Galway not showing up rather than how well Dublin played. Um, this is Dublin, what, Dublin's first Lancer final since 2014, I think? 2014, I think. Yeah. 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 Uh, like, they, on, on the Kilkenny side, they showed, like, incredible grit in, um, in like, the beat wafer because they were, well, they were three points up uh, with Owen Cody's goal, they're like you think you've won it there, I would think, and then Wexford come back. They were like, from momentarily, Wexford probably thought they had won it when uh, Conor McDonald put the ball in the net, and then it was uh, was actually flagged as a flagged as a point. Um, like, and then you would have thought like maybe Kilkenny's kind of heads drop in extra time when when Murphy is like bent, but like what they have one six unanswered in that second mm. period of uh, period of extra time. Um, like I don't know, this game in the league, Kilkenny won it by five. Like I don't know how. Like it, it does have some small bit of relevance, I would think. Yeah, I, I, I had like initially I had Kilkenny minus five written down, and I started thinking, you know what, if that if that was it, I would take that bet because I think Kilkenny will Kilkenny will be favourites. I think they'll win mm-hmm. this game, and if, if I had minus five, I probably would take that. I'm gonna say Kilkenny minus seven. Okay. Gary. That was higher than I was expecting PJ to go. Uh, mm. So that's kind of, I think, it, I, I'll say minus six just because minus eight sounds like a lot, but like with these, you never really know. We're always surprised by the size okay. of the handicap. So I'll say, I'll say minus six. Well, the bookies are giving uh, Dublin a lot more credit than both of you guys are because it's actually Kilkenny minus four. Um, I believe, yeah, I just wanted to confirm there by the screen in case I had my notes wrong, but yeah, Kilkenny minus four, which is interesting and uh, promises a good game, I hope. Uh, we have five Dublin uh, players on after week one of our uh, rolling hurling all-stars actually, which is, you know, it, they'll be doing well to hold that, hold on to that, but it does show you, like PJ, to your point, like there was, there was a good all-round performance, it wasn't mm. these kind of like Tony Kelly last year for Clare where he was sort of doing a little bit on his own, this was an all-round performance through the, through the centre of really, really good hurlers that have kind of finally sort of all got fit again at the same time and are, are, are together with that. Um, okay, Limerick versus Tip, Munster final. It's becoming a common Munster final, uh, this Limerick Tip. Um, Gary, what are you going for? All-Ireland champions versus Tip Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this could, this should be a great game uh, if it fits, if it lives up to the bill. And obviously, sometimes at Limerick, they can be clinical to the point of you know kind of taking sucking some of the, the joy out of the game. Uh, hopefully, yeah. that doesn't happen here. Obviously, they will be favourites against Tip. Uh, like they kind of they, they kind of seem to have figured out their like little bit of a monster hoodoo that they had there for a while. Uh, but I don't know how, how many points do you give them? Like I think they will win. I think they will win reasonably comfortably in the end without without like being disrespectful separate at all obviously i'm going to say limerick minus five i think might be a good number in this mm. um like the, the, that game against cork that that feels like a bit too much from gary there like it feels like a little bit high uh, so i'm going to undercut that once i've uh, made a <laughs> point there <laughs> that like that hit point win against, against cork like, they didn't play that well but they hit they hit like but you know like they, they were still 
it, it, you still came out with that game feeling like these are probably the All Ireland champions. I mean, like they yeah. they hit they hit twenty wide, which is just like you know, which is just like pretty standard for them now at this stage because you kind of you have to re kind of I think recalibrate what is like a bad number of wides now when it comes to this Limerick team because they have this kind of shoot on on side policy. Um, yeah. Yeah, Shane, Shane McGrath last week though that like it's like Cork came out of it feeling great about things and feeling that they really played quite well and Limerick were coming out of it thinking geez we never really showed up and Limerick still won easily in the end you know and I know a few circumstances felt that way but it does I think to your point that just shows you the strength of their position at the moment doesn't it yeah it could be uh, unbeatable yep um, or we have we've had the All-Ireland champion from this game in the last two years I mean like let yeah. me win it last year. Tip lost it in 2019, yeah. but yeah, he's on the Ireland. Uh, so, like, this is uh, three in a row as well for Limerick, which shouldn't be sneezed at. I know, like, we we kind of aren't thinking too much along the lines of like you know provincial records and stuff like that. But the Munster hurling championship is a big one to win, and I don't have the records in front of me, but I can't say Limerick have won three in a row too many times in their in their history as well. So there could mm. be a bit of pressure there. It's a draw in the league this one. So I don't yeah. know. Oh, I'll, I'll throw it in there while I consider. Uh, yeah, I got undercut by one. I got to say Limerick minus four. I would have, I would have gone minus. If I'd gone first, I would have gone Limerick minus three. But if we got Gary at minus five, I'm going to go on Limerick minus three. Well, there's no two points for uh, accuracy this week, but you would have got it in the old days because it is Limerick minus three, which means that we're uh, two one. Is it? Am I right, yep. then? Yeah. yeah. Not on top of things today, lads. My quiz master brain. I've nearly gave away the, the, the results with the facial expression a couple of times and everything here. I'm struggling. That's the hurling, right? Uh, Gary would be delighted to move on to the football. And Westmead. Yeah. Oh, we're not doing Westmead and Kildare. Just Westmead yeah. would have to hold on against Kildare and the John McDonough, actually, at the weekend. So I think they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll take a one-point win in the football, though, at the weekend. I will win both. Nobody, nobody. The double is coming this year. Westmead, the uh, McDonough final is the PGA versus Gary Derby. Kerry versus uh, Westmead. <laughs> Yeah. Go. And Kerry beaten by Mead, but they had nothing to play for, did they? Oh, uh, well, Kerry only qualified for the final because uh, Podrick Boyle hit a last-minute uh, free. Uh, they only, they only, they only got into the final on um, on goal scored. I think. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Jeez, I missed that completely. That's uh, that feels like a story that we should have been <laughs> covering on this show. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, so that's Joe McDonough. Westmead are playing Kildare now. Unfortunately, we don't have time to inc- uh, include Westmead versus Kildare in the other Leinster semi-final in this one, but we will instead do the uh, other one, which isn't on TV, lads. Dublin versus Mead in a Leinster semi-final. I'm not saying that's a right or wrong decision. Like, I mean, you've only we've only got so many slots in such a amount of time, but it just it is mad and just shows you how far Dublin have stretched ahead in Leinster. But how far have they stretched ahead? PJ, I want to say, is up first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, there is has been a lot of talk about Dublin coming back to the pack. Like, Maybe that's the case. Like it, it, it is quite hard to tell at this time of year. We've no uh, idea yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've said it although, a few although, times. And although that, that 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 game against um, Longford that they won by eight points was was their smallest margin of victory in a Leinster Championship since 2013, mm. when they beat Mead by seven in the final. That, yeah, like it, it is it is something to consider. Um, like they did look very sluggish against Wexford. I mean, yeah. That was a really. I thought it was, it was a very good defensive performance from Wexford. Like it's, uh, you know, it, like it's a point hit point defeat, but it, you know, I, I'm sure there's probably still a feeling like you know we could get something going here. We can maybe build upon this. Um, yeah, uh, Mead 
Oh, they, they hockey, like, yeah, if you hockey them, Longford, Longford, Longford 422 they scored, yeah, I think yeah. is the unbelievable number. Yeah, they had, like, what, they had 12 different scores in the game. I mean, that's, that's always a good sign. I mean, like, you're getting, like, 1-2 from your wing back. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Morris, you you were best forwards, hitting 1-4. These are all, like, good signs. Like, Dublin are still, obviously, like, are, are going to be favourites. Um, like, an, an interesting thing, I think, about this game is that the Dublin's, the Dublin beating Wexford in that game was obviously overshadowed by the Stephen Luxon situation um, with him, like, making not being available in, for the moment. And... Like this game at Crow Park, you think about like Cluxton's replacement is Evan Comerford, who has a major advantage over many other keepers in that when he was like deputizing for Cluxton in league games, he was playing games at Crow Park. Way more like games at Crow Park that no other kind of rookie cheap keepers would get a chance to play in. I think that that's kind of like something to consider like du- du- during this championship when we are kind of like looking at looking at um looking at Comerford. Like some are big favorites here, but still Oh, how much? I've Dublin minus nine written down here. Okay. Yeah, I, I, like Dublin are obviously favourites, so I'll let Gary uh, have a chance to, to yeah. level this one up. Uh, myself and PJ were both working that Sunday where Dublin were playing Wexford and we were talking to each other on Slack and we were saying minus 24 seems like a lot. Like you're, If you're giving any team a 24-point head start, I'd probably back them. So I actually bumped it down to minus 20 and did back Wexford. And I was delighted by that in the end, so that came true. So I think the bookies are going to be a bit more sensible here. Well, obviously, we're never going to be quite that big. But I still think it could be double digits. So I think I'm going to go minus 10 for Dublin. What did you say again, PJ? Minus 9. Okay, so it is minus 12. <laughs> so it's a high one. They weren't being that sensible. I Look, I've had this feeling with Mead, I'd say, three times over the last like five years where I felt like it could give them a game, and they just haven't. They, I think they scored four points in the Leinster final was it last year, two years ago. Um, so hopefully, hopefully we see a little bit more of a game this weekend. But uh, it brings us to a showdown here, lads. It's two all. We've got one game to go. It is the Ulster semi-final between Donegal and Tyrone. What a game. No disrespect to Fermanagh and... Or to, to, to Monaghan and this is exactly my point. Who are Monaghan? Arma, But Donegal Tyrone is the marquee game, um, and it's the one that we're all looking forward to. Uh, two big wins at the weekend. How's this one going to go, PJ? Um, I think it's Gary first. Actually. It is yeah. Gary first. It is me. Is this, is, this, this is a big advantage here for Gary. I feel like yeah. Yeah, is it though? I always feel, I think I, it is. I think I, I think I kind of prefer to go second because I think this is kind of a hard one to call. Like that Dunny Dunny goal, like that game yesterday would have taken a massive amount out of them uh, to try and come back and close that deficit. And now to play a week later is like it's you know it's it's going to be a tough ask for them. Obviously, we don't know with Michael Murphy. He came on yesterday. He looked good. Will he have seventy minutes in him? You'd imagine probably not. Like there's only a week in the difference, and he still has to recover from his time in yesterday. Like. Tyrone were comfortable against Cavan. I know some people were kind of saying, oh, you know, Cavan Championship could be different, but really, they never really looked like losing that game, to be honest. Mm. Uh, suspended, though. Yeah, McNamee suspended, which obviously is a loss, but you'd still, I still think Tyrone will be favourites. And I'm going to say Tyrone minus one. Okay, PJ. Colin McShane back in, scoring. It's just like... Yeah. It's- there's a there's a lot going on. I feel like I feel like that that it was a very very good weekend for 
kind of sizing up both of these teams ahead of their showdown. I know Donegal were very lucky to get out of it, but at the same time, now that they have been, I feel like we've had a really good primer for this game in the weekend just gone. Yeah, going to this weekend, I would have thought that Donegal were the real All-Ireland contenders in, in Ulster, where that maybe has kind of flipped now after like after after their performance at the weekend, which wasn't really up to All-Ireland contender status, um, I thought. Um, like going back, you, you mentioned Colin McShane there, uh, like three points off the bench. He, he looked really mm. good. Darren McCurry as well got 10 points. He got five of them from play. It was one from a mark. Have we, have we decided yet where, whether a mark is from play or not? That's uh, <laughs> or is it just like a mark and it's something else? Yeah, I think I think it is a kind of a it's 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 like freeze marks sidelines mm-hmm. and forty fives are all in the same bracket. I would say. Yeah, uh, like if like if uh, Tyrone get out of this, like you would think that the combination of McShane and McCurry in the future could be a lethal one for them because I would, like I McShane in twenty nineteen, I thought he was fantastic. Like he was he was unplayable at times. I thought he was just like. You stand off him, he'll stick it over with the right or left. You, you kind of like you get too close and you, he'll just kind of blow by you. Um, like McCurry, look, McCurry looks like uh, he is like it's nearly, it's nearly a decade since McCurry made his Tyrone debut. And like, but like, like in that game, you kind of thought, you know, maybe he's really kind of living up the potential there. And I know there was a few years in the middle there where he, where he wasn't available. Mm. Um, like, go, like. Donegal, I thought, beat Derry because like, the conditioning was a little bit better and like it was helped as well because you can bring Murphy off the bench, McNeilish off the bench, Oshin Gallen off the bench. Like that, uh, those are, that, that stronger bench definitely made like a big difference. It was interesting to hear um, Mark McHugh yesterday on BBC saying that he thought there were players on the pitch for Donegal who weren't good enough, like they weren't at inter-county standard. <laughs> you could see uh, Oshin McConville. This is at half time. Like he was, what he could talk about. He, he thought there were Donegal players who didn't want to kick the ball, and they like, you know, you could just let them have the ball, and it didn't like really matter because they weren't able, they weren't going to do that much was going to hurt you. Um, it was, it was, it was funny to see like Oshin McConville there with like looking at his match program, trying to figure out, seemed to be trying to figure out who the hell is he talking about here, <laughs> like everyone else. Um, yeah. I get the feeling like Gary is probably right here. It probably is Tyrone minus one. But I just gonna. Which way are you gonna go? He's not right. I'll tell you that much. Oh. But which way are you gonna go? Sweating though. Ah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's throwing me there. That's throwing you. You were gonna yeah. have to go one way, one higher or lower anyway. Um. Well. Okay. Uh. Let's go. Don't go on minus one then. That puts the uh, possibility of a draw in play, which I don't have a tie break for. But <laughs> PJ was brave and he oh, got it. Oh, it is oh. Donegal minus one. I don't, did I give that away somehow? I didn't. I, I, I often tell if somebody hasn't gotten exact, but uh, Donegal minus one from the depths of hell, even though he had to beat, <laughs> PJ <laughs> rescues this and gets his first win at the championship. PJ. Uh, I think we're out of time, so I don't have time for a, a closing speech. But uh, perhaps, um, oh, look, a, a glorious win. I mean, we've had big wins this weekend for Donegal. We had a big win for Italy there and some other sport. And uh, But PJ Brown finally winning guest the handicaps, knocking Gary off his perch, possibly uh, the greatest win of them all. So congratulations <laughs> to you, Gary. Go back and regroup. Think about it. Like we've got some big games coming up. Leinster final, uh, the, the, the Connacht the Munster football final, all those things are there for you next week, right? You can go and 
you know, take it by the scruff of the neck, get this back. Thank you for everybody for listening and watching uh, the show uh, this week. We're back with you, of course, every Monday morning or every Monday afternoon at around 12 o'clock. So next week we'll have Shane McGrath back on because we'll be talking about those hurling qualifiers and about the two, uh, the Leinster and the Munster final as well. And we'll have lots more besides as well. Stay tuned to Balls.e all week for more great GEA contact, content. Um, and please subscribe to the channel. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. And of course, if you're listening to the podcast, also do subscribe and you leave us an L rating as well. Talk to you soon.